Hello, and welcome to the Bite Size Bible Study Podcast. I'm your host, Phil Shiroki, and today we are going to continue our look at the Torah. This is the follow-up um, to the couple episodes about Jesus being the fulfillment of the law. I definitely felt led to do a nice deep dive into the law of Moses. So we are going to basically go again from Exodus 19 all the way up through the book of Deuteronomy, which I'm happy to do and excited to do because frankly, I can't say I've ever read every book that I just mentioned word for word. I've definitely um, been in and out of those books, both in my own personal study and in the past in this Bible study in different episodes. But again, I um, really wanted to just look at the, these books because, again, um, there are a lot of Orthodox Jews that will only follow the Torah, um, which again, is a very strict line of thinking and theology um, and a very strict approach to God, um, to each their own. Um, I do believe, obviously, in the entire um, Holy Bible, as we would call it, all 66 books from Genesis through Revelation. Um, I love the New Testament. Some people say that the New Testament's still being written I don't believe that's true. It is not still being written because the New Testament is written. It is sealed. It is there's nothing to be added to the <laughs> to the Bible whatsoever. Um, I believe that kind of a statement is very um, very egocentric and very false. And the people that say it tend to preach a lot of false gospels. So there's definitely a correlation there. What they mean, and what some may mean and imply when they say that, is the fact that we are living in the age of the church. So, although we are still living under the new covenant of Jesus Christ, we are saved by professing with our mouth and confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord and that we believe He is Lord. Um, the fact of the matter is, is the New Testament is written and sealed and the books of the Bible are sealed. So technically, um, and I do like to get technical about things because a little poison and a little false teaching can lead people very far astray from the truth. So it's important that we have a full grasp and knowledge of exactly what we're talking about and saying and um because that can be confusing frankly to maybe newer christians or younger people and again with any type of um you know um maybe uh, different thinking or different teachings if you will that aren't directly from the bible such as that you could definitely go off and um you know uh, people can <laughs> um excuse me take that and run with it if you will so Again, um, not a big deal, but just something I did want to clarify because I've heard that said more than once by, again, typically people that don't really preach the whole gospel or preach a false gospel, so there could be a correlation there. So it's stuff to stay away from, you know? Again, the New Testament's written, the beautiful books from Matthew through Revelation, the four gospels, the... Um, you know, the book of Acts written by Luke, you have Romans, and then a majority of the letters to the churches at the time that Paul was essentially used to plant and start. 
And um, then you have, you know, the amazing books of John and Peter, the apostles, and the James, uh, Titus, which was actually a letter to Titus um, from Paul. But, and then you finally have the amazing, incredible book of Revelation written by John while isolated on the island of Patmos because he was being a bad boy and <laughs> basically the Romans couldn't kill him so they said get rid of him so they stuck him in isolation for a majority of his time but of course you know um, it all works together for the glory of God because at that time God used that um, experience for John to record the books and the um, events of Revelation, and that's where we get the book of Revelation. So, without any further ado, in this episode, we are going to look at Exodus chapter 20, in which God speaks the Ten Commandments to Moses on Mount Sinai. Okay, and like I said, we are going to look at Exodus chapter 20 in this particular episode. So, here we go. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water underneath the earth. You shall not bow down to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your mouth servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his mouth servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. So I'm going to stop there quickly. That was Exodus 21 through 17. I want to look at the notes here in my Spirit-Filled Life, New King James Version Bible, and then we will go from there. So starting with the note for Exodus chapter 20, verse 1. These 10 words, the 10 commandments, are absolute law, principles that are all-encompassing 
and allow for no exception. Jesus confirms their timeless application. God proclaims triumph for his people, not over them. I am the Lord your God. Identify the speaker with the one who performed the miracles of the Exodus event. God's character demands loyalty. The believer demonstrates loyalty by worshiping the only one true God. Israel was surrounded by peoples who worshiped images also called gods. Since no human effort could represent God adequately, God forbade creating any image of him, either literally or conceptually. The Israelites, in this regard, became unique among their neighbors. Quickly stopping there. So there's a lot there. And I love, first off, when, you know, the Lord starts out by when he's starting to give the Ten Commandments, he proclaims who he is again. And he says, basically, that he is the God who led the people, who proclaims triumph for his people, but not over them. He's not a evil dictator type of, you know, authoritarian necessarily that is just sitting up there with, you know, holding a thunderbolt waiting to strike people down. No, he is a loving God. He, he is our good, good father. He is our Abba father. So when he commands, you know, the Israelites to follow these rules, there's a good reason for it. And as you can see, that's the first, you know, the first commandment is you shall have no gods before me because like it says in notes here, God is a jealous God. He, he has good reason for, <laughs> for making that proclamation because it is our human nature to stray away and to go and worship other things that our fleshly desires are fulfilled with. It's all around us to this very day. We can call it materialism. We can call it um, sexual immorality. We'll call it addiction. We can call it whatever we want. But when you allow yourself to stray away from the Lord and have other gods, they quickly take God's place in your life as numero uno. And that's why God warns against it. And he is a jealous God because he wants all of us, like any other healthy relationship, very intimate, close relationship. For example, a husband and wife are to be totally committed to each other, a 100%. And if they're not, then there's going to be jealousy in the relationship for very good reason. So... As And that's why I believe, you know, Jesus compares himself and calls himself the bridegroom and the church is the bride of Christ because it's that intimate of a relationship. And that's an amazing thing. Imagine how, just imagine that picture when we're up in heaven with the Lord, how incredibly close we're going to be to him. It's hard to imagine, frankly. I, I don't know how that's going to work, but I look forward to it because it is going to work because God says it and it's going to come to pass. But it's a very interesting picture that God uses again to present himself when he presented himself in the flesh as Jesus Christ, the son. 
And when he, when he compares our relationship with him to that of a marriage, um, again, that's why there should be no other gods before him, because simply he wants all of us, which is a very healthy um, desire that one should have for another. Again, in the today's world, it's so superficial. It's so shallow for the most part. They're so, you know... <laughs> I believe we have a lot, we have too many options for everything, including dating and including everything else. I personally have totally taken a step back from all that. I'm really enjoying this moment of my life. Um, I do also look forward to, a, you know, hopefully a final last relationship that'll last my lifetime, but I am very patiently waiting for that as well. And I'm not rushing it like I have in the past and failed on my own efforts, I'm really giving the Lord all the space and time that he needs to work. One thing he's showing me with this process I'm going through is this process of sanctification and preparing me in what I believe for that final relationship is just basically he's bringing me to a place to be ready finally for that lifelong commitment. I've had relationships in the past. I've had marriages in the past that have failed. And that's because, frankly, I went and did something on my own instead of allowing the Lord to work, prepare me, and have that, um, you know, have myself and my future spouse, my future girlfriend and wife ready for that relationship. But again, I look forward to it and I enjoy every moment of time. Especially this time I get to just get close and intimate and have fellowship with the Lord. It's an incredible experience. It's, it, I couldn't ask for any better position right now and place to be in life at this very moment. So again, as much as I look forward to that physical companionship and that, um, you know, relationship, I also am happily, you know, content with just waiting for the right person, the right woman at the right time. And I know the Lord will provide like he does everything else at when I'm ready and when she is ready. So just a little um, comment there, but let's continue here looking at the notes where it says, um, and it, it is an interesting note there too, where it says Israel was surrounded by people who worshiped images also called gods. I mean, look, uh, you know, the most popular religion, Christian religion in the world is Catholicism, and they blatantly and directly violate this rule. How they can read the Ten Commandments and then have statues and images all over their churches is frankly mind-blowing to me. I mean, it really says a lot about the, the dead religion that Roman Catholicism is. If you ever study Roman Catholicism, you'll see it was basically just created by a guy who um, wanted political power and popularity and to sustain his political career. So in order to do that, um, I believe it was Constantine back in the four, 400 AD, but he, um, you know, established Roman Catholicism. He married up the Roman political system with Christianity, and that's where you get this system you know i believe it's going to play a major role in the um false religion of the antichrist in the end times and they're already um really pushing for um 
a merger with Islam and Judaism. Again, these are these are usually far left sects of these religions. Um, you know, uh, you have your far left um, Christians slash Roman Catholics. You have your far left um, Jews. Then you have your far left Muslims that all want to marry this up into uh, one hodgepodge religion. I've discussed in the past the 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 I forget I think it's called the building of one that's currently being constructed or is probably done by now over in I believe it was Germany where you know basically they have a um Christian part of the building um a Muslim part of the building and a, a Jewish part of the building and then in the center of that building is a place in which all faiths can go and get have interdenominational prayer and teaching, which again, that's just setting the roadwork for a, you know, for a merged um, dead religion that will be led someday by the Antichrist and his false prophet. Um, Cause you know, Satan's always ripping off God. He's all, he's going to have a unholy Trinity at the end, which is going to consist of, a a father who's going to be the antichrist a son who's going to be this false prophet and then the spirit is going to be satan himself the satanic influence so pretty sick stuff but hey look around right now it, it is quickly coming to pass i mean wow uh, it, it's a scary world we live in but hey we have no fear as christians i mean jesus christ is in control he always has been always will be you know, I was just reading John today, chapter eight, where he basically, you know, um, the uh, religious people, the religious Jews catch a woman in adultery, bring them, bring her before Jesus. Jesus basically exposes all of their sin to the point of where they just empty out of the building. And then Jesus basically tells the woman, you know, go, I forgive you. You're forgiven and don't sin anymore very key part of the um, encounter there that some people want to leave out. But, um, but then after that, it goes on to Jesus having a conversation with the Jews and with the Sanhedrin and they're basically grilling him and asking him, you know, uh, they were just upset with how he handled it essentially. And then he says, Hey, before Abraham was, I am. And those words are so powerful. Every time I read them, I absolutely, I love that encounter. I love that, that, um, that, uh, recollection. And I, I love that, um, that, that's that part of John, because again, when Jesus, I, I, it's almost, I can almost picture the, them being blown away in their minds and almost, I, I feel like they'd almost have to physically fall down hearing Jesus say before Abraham was, I am. It's a pretty incredible encounter. It's an awesome encounter that I really like and I really enjoy. So, um, you know, um, anyway, I digress a little bit here. Let's continue with the notes for picking up with the note for Exodus chapter 20, verse 5, where the Lord says he warns against bowing down to false gods. And he says that his jealousy will basically create iniquity for the third and fourth generations of those who hate him, because if you worship any other God or put anything else before him, you hate him. That's just the reality of it. 
Jesus himself said, you're either for me or you're against me. You either love me or you hate me, essentially. So there really is no in-between whatsoever, as much as people want to try to foolishly deceive themselves or try to preach a false gospel, you know, a half-hearted gospel. There's there's the truth and then there's falsehood. There's no in-between. So picking up again at the note for that uh, passage in Exodus chapter 20, verse 5, it says, third and fourth generations. It was possible for four generations to live around the aged head of the family. Because of the close ties of a patriarchal family, the influence of the patriarch, good or evil, affected all generations under his control. The name of the Lord should not be misused for his name and his character are inseparable. The name of God has been misused in magic, in substantiating truth through the use of oaths and in profane utterances. The third commandment deals not only with the use of God's name, but with controlling one's tongue as well. The Sabbath is to be a holy day set aside to God. The Hebrew word means to desist. One who is in a covenantal position with God is to stop the everyday activities of life and honor God with rest every seventh day. God had set the pattern in creation. Six days he worked, on the seventh he rested. And that's a very important thing that we must keep in mind and preserve, especially in our Western culture. Everybody wants to work, work, work. And really, you know, it's not surprising because a lot of the West at this point has rejected God and his ways. But we as Christians, we as people who are followers of Jesus Christ, who love the Lord, again, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So we must keep this commandment as well. You know, it's easy, I know, to get caught up and to be working and to have things to do, but it's sinful. Frankly, it's sinful to be that busy to where you can't take a day out of your life and really take a rest. It's absolutely essential as well, because if you're really productive in life, you can't go 24-7. You, it, it, you'll, it, it, I work out, okay? If you go to the gym every day and never, never give yourself a rest, you'll actually you, you'll suffer from atrophy. You, your muscles won't grow. You, you'll actually hurt your body. You'll get injured, and you will um, eventually not be able to do anything. It, you'll have an adverse effect, essentially, a negative effect. So that's exactly what the Lord is saying here. We spiritually, again, God sees what we don't see. So spiritually, we need that rest. God himself took a day of rest. Think about that. That's like, whoa, you know, who are we to think we can just keep going and buzzing around all the time when God himself took a day of rest and did he need it probably not he's god he can do anything he wants anytime he wants but again being the good father the good shepherd and the perfect example he set an example for us to pattern our lives after i'd highly encourage you take time off don't be so busy that you're burning yourself out we wonder why we walk around in a society that's so anxious, stressed out on the, you know, we'll look at the roads, just drive around, look at people. It's hilarious at this point to me, 
People are in a rush to nowhere. I guarantee you at least 50% of the people on the road don't even want to get to where they're going. But they're in such an anxious rush. It's ridiculous. People are up your tailpipe. They're beeping. They're, they're, if you're in the quote-unquote slow lane, they'll be up your tail then. It's like, dude, you have two or three lanes to pass me. Go around me. At this point, again, it's funny because when gas got a little high, all of a sudden people are um, slowing down a little bit. But at the end of the day, of course, because a lot of people live in a fishbowl, now it's right back to normal. Ironically, gas is more than it's ever been, but people are just right back to their old ways because we're very, we quickly forget in this society. But in any case, take time off. It's essential. We are not called to be working 24-7. And if you have a, a lifestyle or a job where that's required of you, you need to review it and you need to really, um, you know, use your time more wisely six days a week so that you can take that time off or you need to find something else to do. Because frankly, it's a commandment clearly right here to observe the Sabbath. I'm not saying we have to do a pattern ourselves exactly as the Jews do, but what an amazing culture that to this day, they still live and practice exactly what's preached here in the Torah and in the book of Exodus. Because if people aren't aware, I mean, the Sabbath is on Saturday. It's a day of rest. It's a day of family. Typically in Western culture, our our day was Sunday where you go to church and then you go and usually have a quiet day. Get with family, Sunday dinner, if you will, you know. That's something that's lost in these modern times, unfortunately. But it's something we should really preserve as the body of Christ and as the, the, the church of God. We should definitely do that. And it's important. Again, um, look, again, I understand everybody does it. Nobody's perfect. But really make an effort to do that. And you'll you'll see the 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 benefit it has and, and the good look, there's a reason for it. Cause we can't, we will get physically and mentally fatigued if we don't do this and people can do it regardless. If you're in ministry, if you're out, you know, working, whatever it is, you're, you're hustling, you know, as they say these days, get your hustle on six days a week, but that one day a week, take time and think about the time you can have. You don't, I'll tell you, some of my most peaceful times in my life are when I can just sit down, use that time to get into the word, get intimate with the Lord, pray, you know, have your family with you, pray with them. The the, um, bond that is formed when you can read the word together, study together, fellowship together. I mean, this is what, this is how families, you know, bond and survive around the Lord mothers and fathers, you Christian mothers and fathers, that is, you created, God brought you together with him in the center. Don't ever forget that. And don't try to, you know, fit God into your little convenient schedule when you can. Make sure you make the time to consciously do these things and it'll benefit you and your family exponentially, I'll say. Okay. Um, Exponentially is all I can say. So let's move on to the note here for Exodus, again, chapter 20, verse 12, where it says, 
Since the family is the key component to society, proper relationships must be maintained. Honor means to prize highly, to show respect, to glorify and exalt. So again, this is where uh, this is the commandment of honor your father and your mother. Look, if you have an evil parent, abusive parent, then obvious or a parent that's, you know, encouraging you to do things that are sinful. No, you don't have to honor that. That's that's ill parenting. That's unfortunately that's, um you know, that's obviously bad parenting and that's frankly criminal. So you we're not called to honor bad parents and bad parenting. But if we're Christians, if you're in a Christian family and your parents are guiding you and telling you and trying to influence you in positive godly ways, that's what this is talking about. This is I'm I guess assuming that again, you have good Christian parents and a good Christian household. So again, just wanted to quickly, you know, I unfortunately have firsthand experience with very bad parenting that to this day still continues on. And no, you're not, you shouldn't be partaking in sin with your parents. And frankly, it's really disturbing that that goes on throughout our society and throughout the world. It just, you know, people are frankly just really sick and you're just going to, you know, when people are not saved, they're going to do things that are unsaved. But, you know, you're not called to um, support um, evil, sinful deeds, you know, just because they're your parents. So, but on the flip side, on the other side of the coin, if they're trying to guide you, if they're trying to, you know, bump you in the right direction, then it would it, it, it would do you well to heed their advice because believe me when I say, when people, when your parents, when our parents, when I as a parent am giving advice to children, it's for good reason. It's out of love and care. And it's really hoping that they don't make the same mistakes you did. It's really praying that they can just, you know, have a little easier time in life and, and not have to go through some of the hardships that we go through, essentially. Point being, I guess the overarching theme is good parenting always has your best interest in mind. So if the father as the head of the household is truly submitted to the Lord and is guided by him, he is leading the wife appropriately and the parents are leading the children appropriately. So that's that. So let's pick up the note for Exodus chapter 20, verse 13, that says murder is an intentional wanton taking of someone's life. This commandment is not speaking of accidental killing, wartime killing, or capital punishment, the latter two being essential. God ordained sanctions of government in administering or administrating a fallen world. This commandment is aimed at the sanctity of human life in the eyes of God. So, again, you shall not murder. That means you don't make a... It, it's pretty blat it's pretty plain but you know it has to be addressed i mean murder happens every day all over this country unfortunately there was just a, a huge event in texas in a school i don't know the exact details of it but of what i saw on the news when i was in the gym it looked very tragic it looked horrible frankly and um that is murder but like it says here god ordained um 
wartime killing or capital punishment that and self-defense as well you don't want to kill somebody defending yourself hopefully but if it comes down to it you know we are not called to sit and take abuse or either physically or verbally but especially in a time in which for example if you're the you know somebody breaks into your house you are more than right to defend your family and yourself we're not talking about you know um defending material goods necessarily but it does come down to, you know, if someone's threatening your life or your family's life, then you are at, you know, I believe we are fully um, uh, uh, encouraged to defend ourselves. And, and you know, again, self-defense is one thing. But, you know, um, when it comes to war or it comes to capital punishment, Again, these are justified things that mostly it's self-defense. If you look at Israel, for example, they're constantly defending themselves against terrorists that are they're surrounded by. It's an incredible thing that they can, you know, still exist at this point because there are so many, everybody around them wants to kill them. And it's just getting the, 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 um, the, the encirclement is getting tighter and tighter right now. But that being said, I mean, this country... You know, it, it's sinful to a degree to have people, um, you know, I don't believe there's enough capital punishment implemented. For example, you know, when you have people that are just murderers three or four times over, rapists, mo- repeat offenders, I guess you could say, of horrible crimes. There's no reason why those people should be sitting in jail cells rotting away and wasting taxpayer dollars. We're too easy on crime these days in this country, especially, you know, they love to throw out that statistic of America has the most people in jail in the world. Yeah, well, most most places, if you commit the crimes that are committed here, you're put to death. You know, I mean, it's it's fact. And frankly, I don't have a lot of uh, sympathy for criminals. Look. As a Christian, of course, I want everybody to get saved and I believe there's forgiveness for everyone. But when it comes down to it, there is definitely a line drawn where, you know, if someone's just going to repeatedly be a corrupt person and criminal in society, I don't see why we keep these people around. We shouldn't have a supermax prison. Those people shouldn't be alive, plain and simple. But, you know, we want to waste money. We want to waste time. And then you know, they take it and make it political and, and make us, they try to demonize this country for its over compassionate, you know, views on crime and criminals. And then they want to justify crime these days. It's absolutely mind blowing the way the politics have just totally distorted um, reality, essentially. But we have a large majority of people in this country that are absolutely out of their minds when it comes to um, justifying crime. You know, there was just a, a crime committed up in New York City, and then the mayor says, we have too many killers out on the streets. Well, your own policies are the reason for that. I mean, and yet, it's it's just mind-blowing. It really is. It's absolutely mind-numbing, the state of this country right now. But it's only going to get worse, you know. Um, hey, it, it's just unreal. I just can't believe it, but... I take a firm stance and belief on that. I believe there's nothing wrong with saying that criminals that commit horrible acts should not be sitting in jail cells for 30 or 40 years, rotting, wasting money, and committing more crimes in jail. It's a horrible thing. 
again, these people that are in those places, um, you know, on a case by case basis, they should be executed a lot swifter and quickly than they are. So um, I'll just leave it there. All right, picking up on the note for Exodus 20:14, adultery covers any form of unfaithfulness. While aimed at maintaining the sexual sanctity and holiness of marriage, it also deals with the concept of a proper relationship with God and others. This purity also includes our thoughts. So quickly, that's where Jesus, you know, when he said to even, you know, this is the first time the Ten Commandments and, you know, the law is going to be given to the Jews, but Jesus, you know, again, he raised the bar when he said, if you even look at a woman with lust in your heart, it's as if you've already committed the sin. And obviously he knew what he was talking about in the sense that once we have sin in our heart, it's just going to manifest physically. It's only a matter of time before it manifests physically. That's why it's so important to guard your heart, pray about things fast and let God change you from within. Because I can say humbly by the grace of God, I've been given a gift or I've been given celibacy, complete celibacy. And it's amazing because the reason I can say that is because the, um, you need to change and, and a shift in your perspective. So, you know, I don't look at women anymore as just sex objects, frankly, being honest, that's how I saw women for a long time in my life. That's how a lot of men view women. But you know, recently, um, you know, when I came back to the Lord and I really committed myself back to the, you know, his, um, in his care, if you will, I really wanted that sexual addiction to be gone, that part of my life to be cleaned up. And I prayed and I cried and I prayed and I cried. And finally the Lord answered that prayer because it was a good prayer. It was a righteous prayer. And by the grace of God, I can say that I walk in a, a very self-controlled, sanctified, um, you know, lifestyle these days. And I've learned from the past. I've made horrible mistakes in the past myself. But, you know, it's by the grace of God. He can forgive. We can forgive ourselves. Hopefully the people you've offended can forgive you or at least live with you and live with um, the things that have happened. And, um it's an incredible thing when you have that shift and that, that total um, new view, if you will, of, you know, just that part of life. Because, again, in our world, in our culture, it is so glorified and just ridiculously, um, it, it's, it's worshipped, actually. It's everywhere. And, you know, hey, trust me when I say. It's um, it's an interesting experience these days when I go to the gym. Um, girls, women leave very little to the imagination at this point. But by the grace of God, you know, I, I you know, God, <laughs> I go in with the horse blinders on, you know, I um, do what I'm there to do. And I, by the grace of God, I don't sit and, um, you know, entertain evil thoughts that used to creep in my mind and harass and torment me. Thankfully, by the grace of God, the good grace of God, that does not happen anymore. So I don't say that with any pride or boasting either. Believe me, it's an interesting life these days that I've been blessed with and lead. And it's, it's only, only by the grace of God, by the Holy Spirit living in me and by me, 
multiple times a day asking for a refill of the Holy Spirit and praying that God strengthens me. I rebuke the world, the flesh, and the devil constantly because it's a constant battle. We are in a spiritual battle 24-7. So put on that armor of God daily and get ready because, you know, pick up that shield of faith because those fiery darts are going to come. So put on that helmet of salvation, gird your waist with truth, you know, um, put on the breastplate of righteousness, Jesus Christ righteousness that we are clothed in, shod those feet with those sandals to go preach the good news. So, all right, picking up at the note here for Exodus chapter 20, verse 15, got a couple more to cover, then we're going to finish up Exodus 20, but the positive side to this commandment is making sure that all you possess is gained through proper means. Again, that's where it, the commandment, you shall not steal. Uh, you know, look, it doesn't matter who you're stealing from. If you're stealing, you're wrong. So knock it off. And um, and what I mean by that, again, I, I mentioned a little while ago, it's very easy these days to just go online and, you know, download something illegally, for example. But you didn't pay for it, and I don't care if it's you're stealing from a big corporation. It's still theft, so there's no justification for sin, especially violating one of the Ten Commandments that's blatantly and clearly written right here. So don't justify your sin. Just stop it already. And then continuing on here with the note for Exodus chapter 20, verse 16. The ninth commandment calls one to be trustworthy and truthful. This is where um, God says you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. So again, you know, we are, um, we're not to be um, spreading rumors or spreading lies. If you have an issue with somebody, then go and discuss it and hash it out with them. It would be wise to maybe bring a witness or two or maybe a mediator, um, but don't just walk around angrily and handle it immaturely or in a cowardly fashion. Confront, not even confront. Um, deal with the situation directly because at the end of the day, it's better for everyone to just get whatever it is out on the table, hash it out, and let it be done with. You can either be friends and continue your friendship after that's over and settled, or you can decide to go your own ways if you can't be friends anymore after whatever it is. But don't sit there and drag it out and don't, you know, speak negatively. And um, again, certainly don't go around spreading rumors or gossiping about people because I'll tell you, the lamest conversations I have with people and the lamest people I run into are the people that just you know, you start talking and all of a sudden they're, they're gabbing about somebody else. I, you know, I have no interest in talking about somebody behind their back. I think it's cowardly. I think it's weak. And, um, you know, people do that all the time these days. Cause again, they're cowards and, and most people are very, uh, lack a lot of substance. So they like to talk poorly behind people's backs, but, um, you know, it, true friends, will will confront situations and you know again uh people that aren't friends will say will just um decide to you know talk behind your back and then smile in your face that's 
very disingenuous and I'd rather have no friends than have people like that around me. Thankfully I have, you know, good genuine people for the most part that I keep in my circle, which is very small, but that's all good. That's how I like it sometimes. So, all right, we're going to pick up with this last note here for this section of Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. Covet means desire or lust. It is not the wanting of something that is wrong, but wanting it at the expense of others or from a motive of jealousy or envy. So I did an episode or two on um, covetousness a little while back. I think it was a season two, but it's very important that we keep our eyes focused on, you know, our lives, on what is going on with us and not look around at other people because, you know, God has a purpose for everybody. He blesses everybody differently. And, you know, if you're always working to try to keep up with somebody, um, someone else, or try to get what other people have, then you're, you're never going to be happy. You know, it's, it's the way of the world, you know, when it comes to money and rich people, for example, there's always somebody out there with more that people that get success always want more success. People with money always want more money, you know, and, and they're always, you know, going head to head with each other, trying to outdo each other, which you know, anybody that's been around those type of people, you know how shallow they are, how lame they are. And frankly, it's it's a really boring type of person to be around. Again, materialism, uh, just um, or coveting people. You know, there's different things you can covet. You know, it doesn't have to be material things. It can be um, someone's popularity. It can be someone's um, ability to, you know, have friendships. It can be. Uh, whatever it may be. Um, but, you know, it, it's important that we recognize and be thankful for what God has blessed us with. And when you can have that heart, then God will bless you more. But when you're looking around all the time at what you don't have, then that's when you tend to get off the rails too. And, um, you know, causes people and us to really do things that might be out of our nature and definitely make some unwise decisions when chasing after things that may not be meant for us. You know, there's a reason why God may not have the, you know, bless you with that, whatever it is. And trust me, God knows what he's doing. He sees what we don't see. So, you know, we all have different personalities. We can all handle different things at different times. Don't ever assume that, you know, just because one person is uh, able to handle something that you're able to do the same because that may not be the case. It takes a lot of self um, reflection sometimes to really admit that maybe, you know, we're, we all have our purposes and the callings and maybe that isn't for you. But, hey, God will always bless us with what we need when we need it. So keep that in mind. All right, let's finish up here with Exodus chapter 20. We're going to pick up a verse 18 where it says, Now all the people witnessed the, the thunderings, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. Then they said to Moses, You speak with us, and we will hear. But let not God speak with us, lest we die. And Moses said to the people, Do not fear. For God has come to test you, and that his fear may be before you, so that you may not sin. So the people stood afar off, but Moses drew near the thick darkness where God was. Then the Lord said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, 
You have seen that I have talked with you from heaven. You shall not make anything to be with me. Gods of silver or gods of gold you shall not make for yourselves. An altar of earth you shall make for me. And you shall sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen. In every place where I record my name, I will come to you and I will bless you. And if you make me an altar of stone, you shall not build it of hewn stone. For if you use your tool on it, you have profaned it. Nor shall you go up by steps to my altar, that your nakedness may not be exposed on it. Let's look at the notes for that section here. Basically it says, This section, often called the Book of the Covenant, explains in great detail how the Ten Commandments are to be lived and expressed in the lives of God's covenant people. Sacrifice provided the center around which all worship revolved, burnt offerings. Portions of the peace offerings were eaten by the priest, which demonstrated God's acceptance of such offerings, and the other parts were eaten by those who offered them. These prohibitions are so Israel's altars will not be like the Canaanites. So, again, God basically tells them, keep it simple. Don't try to make anything fancy. Keep it simple. If you make an altar, make it of the earth. If you use a stone, don't try to make it look pretty. Don't. That's what it says when it says it shall not be hewn. H-E-W-N, hewn. What that means, you know, if, you know, it should be not shaped, it should not be polished. Again, because of our nature to want to outdo each other almost. I mean, just think of all the marble in the Catholic churches, <clears throat> excuse me, think of all the, you know, beautiful buildings that you could call, you know, cathedrals, things of that nature that they just went really crazy with back in the medieval days, back in, you know. As the church grew in wealth, as the Masons, um, you know, took on the trade of, you know, um, building and making really incredible structures, there's a reason why God basically says, keep it simple, because that's not the point. When we see things, our hearts and our flesh are drawn to them. And taken away from God, they become idols and they replace God with stones, with buildings. And that's exactly what we see around us. That's why, again, the first commandment is have no idols before me. The very next commandment, make nothing, no images, no carvings, nothing, because God knows our nature. And he wants the focus on him. It's all about the heart. It's all about our sacrifice, our burnt offering, our living sacrifice that we offer up to Jesus as our lives. That's all about the heart. And it's impossible to fulfill God's purposes and to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, and strength if we have these idols in our life. So, absolutely amazing stuff there. I'm really excited to keep going through Exodus and keep learning 
and keep studying this book. But for now, God bless and have a great day.